Hey, everybody, and welcome to an NFL Draft edition of the Hold That Podcast podcast. This is your host, Brody Miller, one of your LSU football beat reporters here at The Athletic, and I'm talking to you from NFL Draft Night. As Joe Burrow goes first overall to the Cincinnati Bengals and several more LSU players go in the first round, it's obviously a huge night for LSU football, so we are here to talk about it. But we're going to do it a little differently this week. T-Bob Bear, a normal co-host here on Hold That Podcast podcast, well, he added a little piece to his family this week. We'd like to congratulate him and his family on their new daughter Odette but that also means he's obviously taking the week off from the show so what we're going to do is I'm going to be hopping on Andy Staples podcast tonight and we're going to talk in the NFL draft and recap everything from the college football point of view so you can listen to Andy Staples draft recap anywhere you get your podcast and listen to this episode with me and him talking everything college football in the NFL draft we'll be back next week with a normal episode but thanks for listening Post-draft edition, 32 picks are in. The Bengals are on the clock to start the second round. 15 SEC players went in the first round. Nicole Auerbach is here to continue the media conspiracy to keep the SEC getting more players drafted than everybody else, competing for more national titles than everybody else. It is a media conspiracy, right, Nicole? It's not because they have better players, right? Definitely a media conspiracy. Um, how, how do we feel about the fact that um, basically Ohio State could claim the top three picks, though? That's pretty good. Okay, so crazy stat here. Urban Meyer has to be the only coach that this has ever happened to. He signed two number one overall picks in the NFL draft who never started a game for his team. What, now, is that a positive or is that a negative stat? Yes and yes. I mean, listen, Cam Newton sort of made his own bed at Florida. So I I think ideally in a a perfect world, Cam Newton starts at Florida in 2010. That's a different, very different scenario than not winning the job. But that is, first of all, a great trivia question. But second of all, total backhanded compliment. Well, yeah. I mean, he recruited that many good players that two of them went on to be the number one overall pick and never started a game for him. So so here, here's the thing, because, you know, again, we have to get the rest of the media together to come up with our new conspiracies. Should we just say that, like, Ohio State is recruiting at an SEC level, like they're kind of an SEC school to combine our our If the our SEC theories? school is Alabama, Georgia, or LSU... That, right. Then yes, but I'm saying but, we need to get our we yeah, need to get our, our story straight. Yeah, Mississippi State and Arkansas don't belong in this discussion. So now, I mean, Ohio State is recruiting at an unbelievably high level. Uh, you know, you just look at what they had on the field this year; mm-hmm. it's incredible. Uh, and and look, they're not going to drop off that much. Justin Fields may be the first guy taken in the draft next year, and you know, everybody say, "Oh, it's going to be Trevor Lawrence." It's going to be Trevor Lawrence. Nicole, who did we say this time last year was going to be the first guy picked? Who did we say? I think we said Tua. We sure as hell didn't say Probably. Joe Burrow. We did not say Joe Burrow. Probably Tua. I mean, I, I was I was doing some spring cleaning, and you know, the cover of Phil Steele was Tua and Trevor, right? So I mean, it had to have been Tua. I think. I, I'm pretty sure it was it was Tua, and 
you know, at the time he had the, the and ankle, it, you know, it, but it wasn't. It, a, it probably it probably wouldn't even have been Chase Young. <laughs> like it wouldn't have been like the guys that were actually in the mix. Chase, for those top picks. Chase Young was up there, but he wasn't, I don't think. Not like, yeah. was he like top two? I feel like he played his way into that. No, he level. was a top 10 type pick at that point. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah I, it's it's a, it's an inexact science. We don't know who it's going to be this time next year. Uh, it could be Justin Fields. It could be Trevor Lawrence. Uh, it could be somebody we're not even talking about right now. Because uh, somebody asked Burrow tonight, what would you have said if somebody had said you're going to be the first round you know, first pick of the draft. He's a, I never would have imagined it. Yeah, he he he's been very honest throughout his rise, and I very much appreciate it. Yeah, I I do too. I he's been fun. I I, I like him apologizing for the fact that he hasn't been able to hit the barber. Uh, yep. And that, it just he looked, like he nice looked fine. By the way, yeah. by the way, you know, somebody pointed this out, and I think they're correct that. There are some barbers getting around some social distancing guidelines because people look pretty sharp, I'm going to say. I will say that, too. I agree. Now, you loved the Henry Ruggs bathrobe. We have now found out that that was a hashtag brand deal. Uh, he, you know, I mean... Old Spice it, it ad. Takes, it takes a little bit away from it, but still, I appreciate it. So what was the star of this draft? Was it Cliff Kingsbury's massive backyard slash fire pit? Was it the taxidermy on Mike Zimmer's wall? Was it whatever the hell was going on at Mike Vrabel's house? Yes, yes, that. Now, I, I guess we'll have some clarity in the coming days about this, whether or not it was staged or not. But there are like 20 different things happening in that shot that I need to know about. 100% staged. By the way, they had a live shot on Bill Belichick. He is wearing a cutoff sweatshirt he has a a mac laptop open and an ibm thinkpad which by the way none of those are nfl sponsors you're supposed to have a microsoft surface but bill belichick's like i care not for your marketing deals nfl i'm using my macbook well what what i respect about that is that he is keeping his temperature at a level that he can wear his preferred gear I, I respect that. Like, cause there are some days where you're like, I want to be in like a hoodie and sweatpants. So maybe I've got to go look at the thermostat and get my, get my place to the right temperature. I respect that he or, found or, that. Or is Bill Belichick like I am? So my wife and I have this conversation quite often. She'll come into the bedroom and say, do you think it's hot in here? Or do you think it's cold in here? And I always answer the same thing. I am comfortable in a wide range of temperatures. And what that means is put it at wherever you want. I don't care. Okay. Maybe Bill, Bill Belichick is comfortable at a wide range of temperatures and he's going to wear a cutoff hoodie because he's going to wear a cutoff I, hoodie, damn it. I think a cutoff hoodie is a very versatile item of clothing. I think if you're hot, you know, you're still getting some air to your arms. If you're a little chilly, you're, you know, your, your trunk is warm. Like, I, I think it probably can be worn in a range of temperatures. I think you're right about that. Uh, I love what Bill Belichick did tonight because he was at number 23. Yes. And he traded back to number 37 because whoever he was going to take at number 23, I bet that person's there at 37, unless it was Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. But I don't think it is because he's too similar to Sonny Michelle. Yeah, I loved I loved that pick. 
at the end of the first round. That was... It's not I mean, fair. It's, it's not, not fair that Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is playing with Patrick Mahomes. That's not fair. No, no, it's not. Um, and, you know, it, for if people did not watch him at LSU in all of the different ways he was used, because we had so many conversations about this at the end of the year when people would call him just a safety valve. And it was like, no, 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 no. Him, his versatility... And the fact that he can do whatever out of the backfield allows them to line him up and do all these other things with them. And then all the other receivers and then Joe Burrow and his legs like adding that to Patrick Mahomes is unfair and going to be like a video game. But like, I don't even know. It's not like a cheat code because it's just like it's an unfair roster. Right. Like on the front end. Clyde was the skeleton key that unlocked the LSU offense. He's the one that made it so versatile. He caught 55 passes. He averaged like 6.5 yards a carry. Now, a lot of what he averaged per carry was, you know, they're they're running into light boxes because of all the other things they can do to him because defenses are understandably freaked out about where he's going to line up. Yes. No, I loved I loved that pick to end the first round. There, there were a lot of picks I really liked, and then there were a couple that were incredibly confusing. What what there was one what was the there one, was that, one. That where you said what's going on here? <laughs> Jordan Love. And it wasn't that it was Jordan Love being a first round pick because we could we can parse through you know him leading the country in interceptions and like the offense that he was running versus 2018. Like we we can parse through some of that stuff, but I am not a Packers fan. Although Audrey Snyder, our colleague, covers Penn State, is kind of in mourning as we're taping this right now. Because instead of giving Aaron Rodgers any help, particularly on the defensive side of the ball, they went and drafted his replacement. And it was almost a mirror image of when he was drafted. And Brett Favre had except, X amount of years left. Except Aaron Rodgers was either going to go number one or number 24. Like... Aaron Rodgers right. easily that, could have gone number one in that draft had the 49ers wanted him instead of Alex Smith. Right. So I was stunned. Again, not that he was drafted in the first round because, you know, you talk about high risk, high reward players. And and listen, we all saw Josh Allen last year and we saw also what he was able to do and where he brought the bills last year. So I get not being terrified or scared away by guys that throw a lot of picks in college in the Mountain West. But I was just so stunned by the succession plan. I, I, I don't know if anyone thought that that was going to be tonight. Now, can I make the argument that if Jordan Love is going to succeed, this is the way it works? You don't force him into a starting job right away. You do let him learn from one of the all-time best because we, there is not a single person on earth who doubts Jordan Love's physical tools. Right. He has an amazing arm. And if you look at the the production in that offense when he was playing for Matt Wells and had Dave Yost running the offense, it was off the charts. Now, it dropped considerably when a new coaching staff shows up. Mike Sanford's yep. the new OC. Tries to run a, a version of the offense that they were running, which isn't really his, and it doesn't work. And you lose Right, and, and I think all, yeah. all of that is fair because these were all things like – the context matters, and when Josh Allen was getting picked apart, 
for his numbers, I brought up about, you know, all the key offensive positions they had lost, right? And, like, that stuff does matter. And I'm with you that, you know, having a cushion of, like, a transition plan and, you know, a few years left of Rodgers and learning from him, you've got to think he's going to be open to mentoring, right? right? Like, he's he's not been in this position, but you've got to think that based on his own experience, he would so, so I do agree that it's a pretty decent fit, but, but if you're asking me for like a jaw dropping moment, there were not that many because no. there weren't that, there were not that many trades. The, fir- the first trade was, to- was the 49ers flipping places with the bucks, like one spot. Right. And it was just, it, it was clearly again, and maybe it's because it was a virtual draft and people were worried about tech issues, but everyone seemed to just really not stray from the path, right? Like no. group think like the, the players that people, all, a lot of people thought were good were the players that were drafted basically in the order that people thought. Like the lions good. probably could have traded back to seven and gotten Okuda. Yeah. But they didn't. Yeah. Well, and, and especially when, when you did have the Panthers go with Derek Brown over Isaiah Simmons. Right. So like you had some, some slight surprises, right? Like, I mean, Arizona was lucky to get Isaiah Simmons that he fell to them, but like for the most part, and you know, we could we could parse through some of the receivers and the order and the way they went and the teams they went to, but it was really like everyone had draft boards and kind of stuck to them. It felt like yeah, and and you see the ones where somebody obviously had somebody they really liked the the Jordan Brooks pick by the Seahawks. Yes, you know, yes. I, I don't think a lot of people, even college football fans, knew much about Jordan Brooks because you just don't think of anybody who plays at Texas Tech on defense as somebody you might want to take in the first round. But he was a really right. good, really productive player. Play sideline to sideline. Like I get the pick. I get the well, and 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 Damon Arnett. That would be that would be another one, right? People had him pegged as like a third round pick. Yeah, he goes in the first round. Uh, and, the, Andrew Thomas was pegged as a first rounder, but not the first tackle off the board. So I think when the Giants right. picked him at four, people thought, well, okay, what's this? But that one's a little easier to explain. There was a a clear top tier of tackles with Andrew Thomas, Tristan Wirfs, Jedrick Wills, and Mackay Becton. And really, it's sort of, you know, what, what flavor do you prefer? And if that's the flavor the Giants prefer, that makes perfect sense. Right, right. And I, I, that makes sense to me. But, yeah, I mean, maybe the Seahawks were the most kind of out there pick, right? And that also feels like a very Pete Carroll, Seattle Seahawks thing to do. Yeah. I, but, I, Caesar, you know, I, I, really think, I really think that there, if this draft had taken place in normal circumstances, it's probably weirder. I think you're probably right, which – is odd since we're talking about a draft where there was a photo on national television of a guy on the toilet in Mike Vrabel's house. Again, don't know if that was staged or not. I, I prefer to, you know, I prefer to hope it's not. I like to believe it was. I think they want they wanted to become there's a dude dressed as Frozone behind it. Yeah, th- right. That part was definitely staged. And especially because nobody acknowledged it. Like that part was was planned. And Vrabel had a big old dip to- in. I mean, this was they they, was they had it going. Yeah, there was a lot going on in that in that image. Uh, I just I want Cliff Kingsbury's house. I, I I'm just gonna come right out and say yes. that that thing is beautiful. Oh my! I 
am a little confused about the layout of the backyard. Just just like if we're going to be, you know, kind of. That's like Brady Bunch you know. AstroTurf around the fire pit, right? Right. And it was like in squares. Like, was there walkways in between? Like, kind of like a hotel layout here? Or But the fire pit looked beautiful. It really looked to me like a mix between the house from Parasite and uh, Ryan Gosling's house from Crazy Stupid Love, which is on brand for him. He does look like Ryan Gosling. Exactly. I mean, it, it looks no, like his was, abs were photoshopped. That was awesome. What did we make of Jerry Jones and his yacht? Listen, if I, you got a yacht, it was. Where why is not? it though? I don't know. Is it Where's just he docked? Is it just docked? <laughs> is it just docked somewhere with decent Wi-Fi? It, it, it's it's docked in front of somewhere that he just robbed because he got CD Lamb. I mean, the grin on his face when he realized he was going to get CD Lamb was was massive, and it. I talked to Max Olson, our colleague at The Athletic, about this earlier tonight. It felt like everybody who covered college football, their favorite receiver in this draft was CeeDee Lamb. And this is a super yes. deep receiver draft. There are a lot of guys that are going to go tomorrow that would be first-rounders in almost any other draft. And CeeDee Lamb was our favorite. And he did not go first off the board. Henry Ruggs was the first receiver off the board. Then Jerry Judy goes to the Broncos. Then CeeDee Lamb goes to the Cowboys. Man, if I'm Dak Prescott, I am a happy, happy dude right now. I always love when picks like that happen where a like a fan base is probably not – like probably hates Oklahoma, right? Like if you're a Cowboys fan like and you're from but remember, Texas near people Dallas. people in OKC are Cowboys fans too. Right, but, I, but I'm picturing like the actual – like and I, I know the Cowboys are national and all that. But I just love the idea and, and like the, the Lions, you know, and, and they have to deal with this as well with Jeff Akuda. But like, it's just so funny to me when it's a te- when it's a player who has torched your team or someone you've been conditioned to hate over the last few years. And now they're your guy. But I, I am totally with you that I think he was college football's favorite receiver. Like we talked about this earlier in the night, like he would have been my first receiver off the board. Um, and, you know, it probably it wouldn't have been rugs. Um, of again, you know, wearing the wearing the robe did win me over in certain ways, but you know, and then and then Justin Jefferson goes a little bit later than I think, you know, again, like our college football community would have picked him, right? But I I think that what that means is yes, you're absolutely right. Somebody gets a steal, and it was fascinating in that moment because everyone's been making such a big deal about how Jerry Jones is basically going to get to do this by himself and his own instinct instead of like being talked out of bad decisions. And it was such an obvious great pick to get. And he did it. And I was like, honestly proud of him for getting CD. Like I was, I was, I was proud of him. <laughs> like a, like a proud mom, like good job, like Jerry. Did, he, yeah. Like he didn't mess it up. I was, I was proud. Um, and I'm saying that as someone who was making NFL draft picks from their yacht, but uh, <laughs> that was fascinating to me, but yeah, I think I think that was a steal for sure because he would have been my top receiver. So another pick I like toward the end of the first round, the Dolphins take uh, Noah Igbenogne from Auburn. Wow, and I am impressed with that pronunciation skill. Igbenogne, Igbenogne. Yeah, no. So really interesting backstory is his parents were both Olympians. They they both went to different SEC schools. Dad went to Mississippi State, Mom went to Alabama, but they both ran track for Nigeria in the Olympics and he's relatively new to the cornerback position he, he came to Auburn as a receiver but if you look at who think about the receivers this dude had to deal with 
this year. Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, Terrace Marshall from LSU, Jerry Judy, Henry Ruggs, Jalen Waddell, and Devontae Smith from Alabama. And Auburn was really good against those teams. And Auburn is the only defense that made LSU's offense look anywhere near normal. And I realize that Derek Brown, Marlon Davidson, Big Cat Bryant, they had something to do with that too. But the fact that the NFL, an NFL team looked at this, and it's Brian Flores, you know, comes from the Belichick tree, that they looked at this and said, who stopped the best receivers in the draft or at least slowed them down? Well, this guy. and, and- – and I think that that was something that we were also hearing out of Carolina when they were talking about Derek Brown, right? You, you were talking about the the defense that was that played LSU the best, and those two guys were were huge pieces of that. And and it, it's it's nice to hear that that stuff matters and that that um, you know comes into play on this. And so I thought that was awesome. You know, we, we both love Derek Brown as well, and like. Auburn did do an incredible job. They had an incredible stretch of that season where they were just, they seemed like they had, you know, top 10 opponents like every week for like two months of the season or whatever it ended up being. Um, But that defense was legit. And so I'm with you. I think that that's a great, that's a great pick. Um, Another one that I really liked late in the first round was Patrick Queen, who went to the Ravens. Um, He was just, I thought he was just so, so good in the title game. Obviously he was, um, you know, defensive MVP, but he was everywhere, and uh, I think I think he's going to be awesome in the pros. How do the Ravens have these kind of guys fall to them? It, it, it feels like this there happens every two teams, years. There are certain teams that it feels like luck out every year. It's it's amazing, and because this is one where it, they kept calling Patrick Queen an undersized linebacker in the Patrick Mahomes ruled NFL. Defenders need to be faster, not bigger. He's not an undersized linebacker. He's a perfect size linebacker. And the Ravens mm-hmm. just got another one. It, I mean, I, it just they are so smart. They don't overthink things. And that one, I, I'm sure they're sitting there like, how did the Saints not pick him? And I know why the Saints didn't pick mm-hmm. him. They they have a need on the interior of their offensive line. Caesar Ruiz yeah, they, made they're, sense. They're getting rid of, yeah, they're getting rid of their center. Yeah, so <laughs> that, I mean, that, that made sense to me, although I, I – was not sure if it was going to be Caesar Ruiz or Lloyd Cushenberry from LSU. If it had been Lloyd, holy cow, that would have been 16 SEC players. And and it would have been five LSU players at that point. Yeah, I mean, I think both of those are records, right? Already? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, LS, yeah. LSU already had Burrow, Caleb on Chase on, Justin Jefferson, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Am I missing one there? Um... Did you just count Patrick Queen? Patrick Queen, five. Sorry, Lo- right, Lloyd so Cushenberry would have been six. Yeah, mm-hmm. Which is a record, and then I think it was a record SEC in the first round. It was just it was total domination. It it really was, and I mean you know we could I, I I'm not going to count them up while we're talking right now, but think about how many players in the first round we're on the four playoff teams. Like, you know, Oklahoma has has gotten killed in a lot of ways, right? Because they get blown out when they make the playoff, right? But there's clearly still a talent gap beyond the playoff caliber teams and everybody right, else. Right, and, and, and Neville Gallimore also was kind of on the cusp here. He might have gotten picked an Oklahoma player. Uh, you know, there's more Ohio State to come. Lloyd Cushenberg, we just mentioned, is an LSU guy who, who's going to get picked at some point. Uh you know, I think if 
honestly, if Travis Etienne had come out in this draft, he'd be sitting there kind of on the cusp right now too. Uh, mm-hmm. So, yeah, it, it is – there's a difference. And and I talked to, to Ari Wasserman, our, our colleague at The Athletic tonight on Instagram Live, and Ari is Mr. Stars Matter, and I think that the draft kind of backed him up because, you know – the, the four and five stars, as, as our friend Bud Elliott from 24-7 likes to remind us, only represent 8% of the players who play college football. But I think it was, it was over 70% of the first round. Yeah, it was, okay, of the first 32 picks, only six players were not ranked as a five or four star by one of the three major networks. All right, let's do some let's do some math. So, so by the way, by the way, we were discussing this in the Bachelor group chat, which you know those course. who mock the Bachelor do not get to be in, and we're just kind of really just patting Ari on the back for allowing it to be his brand that good players make you better and win more games. It's a good brand and to have. It's it not is wrong. a great brand to have, and it is basically flawless and it's just amazing that more people did not make that their brand it, it is not wrong by the way so the 81 percent of the first round four or five stars eight percent of the recruits 81 percent of the first round stars matter so you're saying so so stars matter and and recruiting matters it all matters nicole it all Ooh, matters this is, this is this is breaking news for college football fans who are very have a very healthy relationship with recruiting. That's listen. If you've got five star hearts, you can <laughs> probably fire your coach. That's that's really all there is to it. You know, I, yeah. I'd like to sugarcoat this, but I can't. You you gotta have good players, and uh, we, we we know it's Ohio State, Clemson, Alabama, Georgia, LSU. That's where most of the really good players are. You know what? Uh, it, it sort of felt like it was an infomercial for, for all those places. Crazy how that works. But remember, hmm. it was all a conspiracy, Nicole. All a conspiracy. Yes, we, we made it happen. Well, I'm glad you could make it happen to come on this podcast tonight. We will, we will talk to you again soon. But the next time I talk to you on this, on, on this podcast, you'd better be broadcasting from your yacht. Um, I, let, let me see if it's in the shop, but, um, so, so let's say 50, 50 chance. They always say it's in the shop every time. Nicole. Well, and I got to check the Wi-Fi situation. I got to talk to Jerry's guy. Yeah. You don't want your Wi-Fi to be booty. It, it's another thing. Everybody's IT guys came in, came through strong tonight, except Seriously. Ari Wasserman's if you watch our Instagram live. <laughs> Seriously. No, it was actually very smooth. A little too smooth. Not as funny as I would have thought because I wanted technical glitches. So I wanted more animals. We got kids. Where were the pets? We got Tom Telesco's surfboard. We, I wanted pets. We, Where are the dogs? We got a dude on the toilet at Mike Variable's yeah, house. That's true. That's true. Nicole Auerbach, thank you so much. Anytime, Andy. I feel like there are going to be a lot of coaches, kitchen, living room, office, yacht, well, owners, yacht memes out of this draft. And I'm good with that. Maybe we should just do this every time. Maybe we don't need to go to, to one place and do it. Just have it every year just like this. We know they can broadcast it. I'm good with it. One team, though, really came out of this thing looking good. And if we'd have had this conversation last year, I'm not sure we would have said 
that LSU was going to have this many guys in the first round. We welcome to the show LSU beat writer Brody Miller from The Athletic. Brody, five LSU players drafted in the first round. Lloyd Cushenberry probably sitting there waiting to be number six, uh, but he, he's probably getting picked pretty early in the second is this kind of beyond even their wildest dreams, how this year has gone, where uh, national title, number one overall pick, Heisman Trophy winner, and now five players in the first round? Yeah, five players in the first round, which breaks the school record. And then you got, like you said, you have Cushenberry, Grant Delpin, and Christian Fulton will probably go relatively early in the next day. I mean, it's it's pretty much an absurd turnaround. It's it's kind of funny, and, and this is not just to instigate our, our good friend Ari Wasserman, because I am I am a believer that stars do matter, but it is kind of funny when you look back at these five picks, and four of those five were not big recruits. I mean, four of the five were outside the top 250 recruits in the country. You know, the only one who was a major recruit was Caleb on chase on. So it's kind of, it kind of shows just really how ridiculous this season one was and kind of a perfect way to cap it that all these guys that are first round picks were also kind of some of the best stories in college football. You know, Bur- Burrow's stories obviously been told a million times. And then Jefferson was the two star, right? Edward Zelaya was a three star who we didn't even think would be the starter this year. Patrick Queen was not a big... He wasn't even the starter in September. So it is just kind of absurd that this season just turned around the stocks of so many guys, which I'm sure they will use as a heavy recruiting tool. So where the LSU guys went, who surprised you the most with their draft position? Was it was it Clyde getting into the first round because running backs just don't seem to be valued as much? Or was it Patrick Queen falling to the Ravens, who, by the way, he seems perfect for? Yeah, I mean, I think if I, I think there's something about Justin Jefferson just because of the context surrounding it, because it just seemed like everybody in Philadelphia was just so gung ho wanting Justin Jefferson. And granted, I'm from South Jersey, so maybe I'm just like have too many people in my ear and too many group chats screaming in all caps right now. But I mean, everybody was just full throttle in on Justin Jefferson, so it's just kind of a shock for Jalen Rieger to go to go above him, but. But yeah, I think I think the one that you have, like you said, it's Clyde Edwards-Alaire, and that one jumps out just because, like you said, running backs don't necessarily go in the first round often. And then now there was always some chatter that yeah, like NFL pro teams love Clyde Edwards-Alaire, but but he was probably what four or five on what seemed like a lot of boards around the country these days. And for it to go to the Chiefs, and I, I couldn't help but think, I mean, him going to the Chiefs is almost like when it's like every NBA draft, right? The the San Antonio Spurs take some guy at like 29th that everyone knew was good, but no one really loved. And then the Spurs take him and everyone's just like, shit, that's the perfect spur. Like, oh, shoot. And that's exactly what Edward Zolaire is to the Chiefs, I feel like. Where yeah. It's like, oh, wow, he is the perfect fit. But if you're thinking about it, he's the perfect fit for any modern NFL offense. Because you, you want a receiver, or excuse me, I called him a receiver because he caught 55 passes last year. But you want a back who can be your best slot receiver if if you need him to be. And then you you put him with Tyreek Hill and you put him with, with the other weapons that the Chiefs have. And then as Patrick Mahomes throwing the ball, it's not fair to the to the defenses, really. But, I mean, you look at it, and, and you can't really knock any of the other teams for not taking Clyde higher. It's the Chiefs, they're the defending Super Bowl champs. They have a good roster. They, they didn't have those other needs. They could take a kind of cherry-on-top guy like this. 
Yeah, I mean, absolutely. It's the rich getting richer. I mean, they they are the best offense in football by, you know, at least on an average kind of thing these last two years. And all of a sudden, they're adding a guy who ran for 1,400 yards and more importantly, had, like you said, 55 catches. And then you're like, well, will that, you know, will he still be that kind of receiver in the NFL? And I kind of, you, I think what you have to do is just point to the Alabama game where that's the game they'll play the most NFL caliber guys, right? He had nine catches that game, nine playing running back. And like you said, he can line up in the slot. He can line up outside. He plays running back. And when you need him to, he can be a bit of a bruiser up the middle. So, yeah, and it's the perfect example of just kind of the, a team taking the best guy. They're not drafting for fit. They just want a Super Bowl. They can. They don't have to, like, fill any holes. They just, like, they love this guy, which also I think just really says something about – I think what I love about the draft is learning what teams actually think. You know, we, we, we read mock drafts for two months, and we kind of build our own little, like, thought bubbles about what we think this guy's ranked and all that. And you find out, like – all right, when it came to a team that didn't have a need, they considered him the best guy on their board. I just think that's really telling. I, I think so, too. And, you know, I there were two picks at the bottom of the first round that I just absolutely love. I guess I guess three if you count Patrick Queen because he's 28. He's pretty far down, too. But but Patrick Queen at 28, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire at 32, and Noah Igbignogane at 30 to the Dolphins, who this is the guy who was the best DB on the team that made – that LSU offense looked normal, the only team that did. Exactly once, LSU's offense looked just kind of good, as opposed to, we will destroy everything in our path. And it was Derek Brown, Marlon Davidson, and Noah Igbenogane. Yeah, and I actually wanted to pick your brain on this, because I think my biggest you know, non-LSU surprise of the day was just general kind of confusion or surprise in the cornerbacks that were taken. I mean, I think it was, what, five or six taken, and, and almost none of them, aside from obviously the first two, were really obvious guys or anything like that. And, you know, he's a guy who obviously has so much upside. He's athletic. He, can't, he transitioned from receiver and all that. But, I mean, it seemed like the Dolphins were taking the most high upside picks that weren't exactly sure things. I guess what is your read on that? I think that's right. I mean, Igman Agune is not a polished corner. He's a guy who was a receiver who just moved to the position. So he's not going to be as polished as, as a guy who's been playing it his whole life. But he also has probably, as you said, a higher upside. And you look at the guys he had to play against. And yep. he had to play against... Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, Terrace Marshall, Jerry Judy, Henry Ruggs, Jalen Waddell, Devontae Smith. That is a lot of really good players that he had to deal with, and he dealt with them very capably. I mean, uh, C.J. Henderson had to play against LSU, and uh, he was he was good at times. Uh, uh, Jamar scored a touchdown on him, but that <laughs> happens to the best of A.J. Tur- AJ Terrell from Clemson, also a first-round corner. LSU kind of had their way with him. <laughs> exactly. I was going to say, I mean, he's he's a guy who it's the opposite of uh, of, of Noah because I, I didn't want to pronounce his last name. I'm too ignorant. I'm sorry. But Ig- it, he's exactly Benog- opposite. It, I got it. Now I had it. Now I got to look at it. it, it you nailed it. It is Igbenogane? It is exactly how it's spelled. Igbenogane. Yeah. Yes. It is exactly how it's gotcha. spelled. Okay. But he's the exact opposite of that because he's a guy who almost never plays elite receivers, or rarely, I should say, and he's pretty much had two major tests in his career, right? I mean, there's probably other examples, but it's pretty much LSU and then Alabama last year, and and of course, Ohio State, but obviously, Jamar Chase, you know, LSU Twitter was quick to be obnoxious about tonight was that, you know, they just kept showing highlights of Jamar Chase dominating him, but he Terrell also 
played very well against Alabama last year against so many first-round receivers. So that just probably makes picking a guy like that really difficult because you're really going off a, a small sample size. With While with Nick Benogany, you you are at least kind of – you're picking on upside. You know he's not that polished, but you have a lot of you know tape there. Yeah. Now, when you look at LSU, I, I think what's interesting about LSU this year is you saw the result of – the change on the offense, the schematic change where they bring in Joe Brady, they, they essentially switch to the Saints offense. But I also felt like a lot of LSU success this year was the fruits of Ed Orgeron's recruiting at the line of scrimmage beginning to pay off. And we have not seen that yet in the draft. Now, we're, we're going to see Lloyd Cushenberry go. Where do you think Sadiq Charles goes? Yeah, he's a fascinating one, right? Because, I mean, when he's on the field, he was a very good offensive tackle. He's a really good athlete. He seems like he's somebody who has pretty good high upside. I would assume he'd be a really good guard at the next level. I kind of doubt he's a true left tackle or anything like that. But he also has that that big glaring thing on his resume, which also might be part of why Christian Fulton's dropping too is is discipline, right? And you know, Steve Charles, we all know, was suspended for pretty much half of this season. He was suspended for a few games last season. It's a consistent thing with him, and it's probably also part of why he declared early, right? But He's a guy, you know, you hear some things say he might be a third round guy or maybe he's just, you know, I've heard someone say he's like a late day three guy. I just don't really know, but I could see a team falling in love with him because one, I would imagine the tape looked pretty good on him this year. And two, he's just a good athlete. I mean, he's a guy who was a goalie in high school in Mississippi. I mean, he was like an all-state goalie. And this is an offensive lineman. It's like Hakeem Olajuwon stories, right? So, I mean, he's another guy I think falls in the upside category, but I don't think there's a, I don't don't know about you, but I don't have a great sense of where he'd go. No, because of you have the discipline issues and I think different teams look at that stuff differently and they are know that they're going to take a risk on him. So you could get him quite a bit later if, if a bunch of teams pass, because remember a team has to be drafting that that kind of needs that at the time that they're willing to take the risk. And, and so, yeah, you could see him fall Fulton. I don't think you see him fall as much just because his skill is so evident. Yeah, I mean, Fulton, and that, that kind of goes back to my earlier thing about I'm just so fascinated by the, the corner slate in this draft because it seems like there's, you know, nine guys. Well, Damon Arnett on, on our own, Dane Brugler, was ninth on, on his board of cornerbacks, and he ended up going in the first round. But then you have your, your Christian Fulton still on the board, Jalen Johnson, Trevon Diggs, you know, all those guys. So it's just I'm so confused about what teams actually, how they view these guys because Fulton, it's not like he does any one thing that jumps out on you, right? It's not like he has unbelievable size. It's not like his physical traits are off the charts or anything. He's not necessarily a playmaker with his ball or anything like that. It's just he just kind of has been the definition of, aside from, I guess, that I'd say the Texas game, the definition of solid for two straight seasons while obviously playing a massive schedule. And, and yeah, he does have the pretty bad disciplinary hiccup, but I don't think it's the kind where it's a habitual kind. So I don't think that factors in over the top as much. But yeah, I just wonder, are teams looking for a guy who has that elite trait or are they looking just at a steadiness? Because that's what I think Fulton brings. Let's look ahead a little bit. We know Derek Stingley's going in the first round in two years. That that is the <laughs> the lock of the century. But when we're sitting here this time next year, which LSU players do you think have come off the board? Well, okay, I think the boring quick answer is Jamar Chase, right? I mean, you would assume as of right now he's the first receiver pick next year. I'm, things obviously change, but that would be the guess. I think then you go Tyler Shelvin. If Tyler Shelvin, the defense, the nose tackle, can kind of reach what I mean, off the top of my I think he's probably the best interior lineman back in the SEC right now, off the top of my head. And I mean, if he can kind of match and build on what he did last year, I would think he could be a you know, a first, second round guy. 
Those are the ones that jump out. Terrace Marshall's another one where he got lost in the thick, you know, in the in the mix of that obviously juggernaut offense. But he he broke LSU records too. And if anything, he looks more like you know your classic NFL wide receiver because he's a you know six foot four, two hundred plus kind of big built guy who's a burner downfield and all has all those physical traits on top of being a really good kid. And also he broke the touchdown record, but was the third on the LSU team to break it. So I think he'd be somebody I, I could see being a late first round, early second round guy. And and but that. It doesn't feel like it's going to be like this year by any means. I don't think it's going to be a deep year. I mean, Jabril Cox, obviously, well, you know, because he would have been a solid pick this year. So I think Jabril Cox, the linebacker transfer from North Dakota State, he jumps out. But off the top of my head, I mean, Jacoby Stevens will go probably day two. I don't know. Well, who else jumps out to you? Well, that's the thing. If we'd have done this last year, we wouldn't have said Joe Burrow was going to be a first-rounder. We would have said Joe Burrow was going to be a day three guy. We wouldn't have said Patrick Queen was going to be a first-rounder. We would not have said Clyde Edwards-Hilaire would be, was going to be a first-rounder. Caleb on Chason is probably the only guy we would have been talking about as a potential first-rounder. Shoot, the only one we were confident of was Grant Delpit, and he's the second-rounder now. Exactly. I mean, that that's the thing. <laughs> we would have been certain that Chason and Delpit were the only first-rounders on the team, and everybody else, there were going to be some nice players, but it wasn't going to be anything special. No, just maybe the best offense that ever played, the Heisman Trophy, the national title, the number one overall pick. Coach O has it rolling down there. <laughs> yes, he does. And I think, yeah, I think the thing that they can sell right now, obviously, is that the mix of the recruiting at a high level, but they're developing at a high level that, I mean, really off the top of my head, it's pretty much what Clemson, Ohio State, them and Alabama that are probably developing at this level right now. I'm I'm sure I'm missing. George is probably but... the only other one in Oklahoma yes. kind of on the outside looking in, but but right there. Yeah. It, it's it's not a big group. And you know, LSU I think has inserted itself into that conversation where they're gonna be in the year in, year out conversation. Georgia was kind of the last team to do that. LSU has now inserted itself into the conversation and it looks like it's gonna be there a while. Yeah, and you know now I'm just thinking I'm trying to just chuck up some hail marys so we have it in recording if they break out next year and I can look smart. There but you if go. I wanted to chuck up some some development picks, I mean I think you'd go T.K. McClendon, their converted tight end, now edge rusher who might be their starting DN this year. I think he's one that you know could break out. I think Damone Clark would be another obvious one because linebackers just rarely stay four years, right? And I think Damone Clark is a physical freak, as we saw a decent amount rotating in last year at middle linebacker. I think he could be a a clear breakout. I think those are definitely my my two kind of long-shot high draft pick picks. Well, they had a bunch this year. They may have it again. Brody Miller, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me, man. Take care. That's it. Thank you so much for listening. Check back on Monday. We will have more analysis of the NFL draft. Hey, it's the only sporting event going on right now. And a lot of our favorite guys, we're, we're seeing them off. You know, like Nicole Auerbach always says, it's like sending your kids off to college, except you're sending them off to the pros from college. And we got to talk about these guys and, and where they wind up. And it, it's been a lot of fun watching the first round. Cannot wait to see the next six. We'll talk about it all on Monday.